Father God, there's absolutely nothing here that I bring. I can only cling to the blood of the cross of Calvary. And so I ask, Lord, that the words that are presented here be not mine but yours, that you anoint my lips, Father God, but also be with my brothers and sisters in the congregation, that you may prepare our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your message. We ask these things right now in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen. You know, church, I struggle with today's message, and in light of today's high Sabbath, I have been doing all I can to try to shorten it a bit more, just just for the sake of, you know, my daughter told me just before one of the special musics, she was already hungry, so I can imagine, you know, that, that you guys are ready to go, and we've had wonderful songs, and we have wonderful prayers. Uh, but now that we get to the word, you know, I struggle with this because this is perhaps the most important message you will ever hear in your entire lives. It may not be the funniest or the most eloquent presented, but it is definitely the most important you will ever hear. And here's the reason why we are living in a world right now where people have a misconception of who God is. We're living in a world right now that is different from when I was growing up. When I was growing up, I remember story after story how entire congregations who used to go to church on a different day of the week, when they learn about the seventh-day Sabbath, they all converted because the truth shall set them free. And the truth was sufficient. Nowadays, you know, before we had the same Bible, the same God, but just different perspectives on the scripture. So you're showing with the Bible, this is what the truth is, and they're good. Nowadays, they could care less about the truth. They could care less about the Bible, and they could care less about God, what God. And so it is a whole different world that we're living in, at least from the one that I grew up in. There's still certain parts of the world where, where, where it seems like time has stopped a little bit. And it's still, you know, Christians with Christians and all of that. But now we're not even dealing with the same God. There's other multiple gods out there. And so it is a whole different situation. However, the flip side to that is too, though, that, you know, when you see through like pastor me pastor's meetings and stuff, you know, by the way, I got to see what you were without a pastor for like a year and a half. I went to the conference and it took me about almost eight hours to do a round trip. I spent most of the day just driving to sit there for meetings earlier this week. So I could see why, you know, you're like, Tallahassee is far from everything and everywhere. That being said, we're sitting there in the meetings and we're discussing things. And I hear some of the pastors in their side conversations. They're saying, you know, and we got millennials and generation X, Y, and Z and elemental P and all of these things. And they're going through all this, all this philosophical conversations as to the people and the generation that we're dealing with. And I get it. But I guarantee you that my God is not in heaven having a discussion, you know, with, with Elijah and Moses and, 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 and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They're not saying, man, we made a mistake. We blew it because, you know, the, the generations have changed so much that we got to figure out how we're going to reach these people now. My God does not make mistakes. And although the needs of the people may have shifted, although some of the language may be different, you know, my brother came to visit and he borrowed my car the other day and um, he, he put some of my anointing oil on thinking it was one of those little fragrance colognes that is like oil. And he said, this smells like nothing. And I said, no, I just keep it in the car just in case. That's for anointing. He's like, what is that? You know, so we don't even speak the same language anymore. And I get that. 
But nevertheless, the gospel message still important. The gospel message is still what is needed in order to reach those who don't have no idea who my God is, who loved us so much that he sent his son to die for you and me. The problem is that many of us here mention the Lord's name in vain continually and bear false witness continually. That's the problem. Many people think that when we mention the Lord's name in vain is when we hammer our finger and we say, Jesus, and perhaps some of those other bad ones that I can't say from the pulpit. That's not mentioning the Lord's name in vain. It's when you call yourself a Christian, but you behave totally different out there. It's when you say, I'm a seven-day Adventist on the seventh day of the week, once a week, it's all good. But then when I go out there, the other six days, forget about it. We bear false witness when we tell people, yes, I am a child of God, but don't you dare cross me. Because what happens is that if I'm an outsider and I say, you know what, if that's what your God is like, I want nothing to do with him or you or your church or you people. That's the problem. And so the gospel message is still as relevant now as it was years ago. Their gospel message is still as relevant now as it was from the very beginning when my God prophesied in Genesis 3 about how he was going to pay the ransom for you and me. That's the gospel message, just as relevant then and now as it was back then as well. Now, why am I telling you all of this? You know, part of the problem is I grew up with a misconception of who God was. I have to tell you, you know, I love seeing the young children coming over here. I, I love hearing the babies laughing, giggling, some of them crying. I saw a dad earlier chasing after their two girls here up on the pulpit in the middle of Sabbath school. Oh, who's the pastor? Pastor Sasha. Yeah, it was, it's the greatest thing. I love children. You know, God says, you know, let, let them come to me. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so when they are in church, remember what I told you before. Parents, you do your best to teach them how to be reverent. Children, you're going to do what you do anyways. And the rest of us are going to be loving and patient because we get it. We understand it. These children in this church, all of them have been angels. By the time I was nine, I had already borrowed my first car and crashed it. And my parents had to pay for that. By the time that I was seven, you know, in Puerto Rico, I grew up in the city, but we have a whole mountainside that is owned by the Suarez family from the top of the mountain down to the river. And, you know, when you marry, you, you bring their families in, and, and that's how it is. And one of the times playing, I broke the main pipe that would feed the whole mountain with water. And because I didn't want to confess what I had done, it was difficult to find where it was coming from because, you know, it's a farm and, and there's tall trees and plants and everything else. In 1988, when I was eight years old, I saw this movie, The Kickboxer by John Clark Van Dan, and I was excited because he was there. He was kicking and he breaking, you know, a big, like, like palm trees or whatever. But the thing is that they hurt. But I found that banana plant palm trees are actually nice and soft. So my grandma went to the farm and noticed that somebody had knocked down every single banana plant and ruined the banana crop for the next year to come. I felt like a karate man. I just knew it all. You know, it, the other ones were hard, but the soft ones were good. I did so many things, and two things are hit quite often. 
I was addressed as Hijo del Diablo, Child of the Devil. And then the next words were, Papa Dios castiga, God punishes. And so I live with this image of a God that punishes people. This evil God. As I grew older, I looked at the, the, the Old Testament and the New, and the God of the Old Testament was this mean, wicked, eradicate them all. But then Jesus was, turn the other cheek and smile. And if you get angry at your brother, it's the same thing as killing your brother. And, and it's like, wow, it's like two totally different people. I don't want to read the old. He's just a big meanie. I just want to stick to the new because, you know, he's all butterflies and flowers and love. And that was my childish, immature mindset as a kid. The problem is that we have a world of people out there that have a very valid misconception of who God is. The God that destroyed the world with a flood. The God that allowed this thing in Orlando happen. Why? 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 And we don't help illustrating and demonstrating for the world who God really is. And many of us here have that misunderstanding of who God is, that guilty, driven God who punishes people. But that's not at all what the Bible says. That is not at all. And this is what this message is about. And, you know, I usually do PowerPoints when I have like a million Bible texts to go through. And so I am going to skip through some of them today just, just to, to be respectful of you. But if you want to get the full on, I'll be more than happy to email you this. Just slip me your email and I'll send you all of the Bible texts that we have there. But with that said, why don't we go ahead and begin. We're going to go to, um, it helps if I turn it on. I did turn it on. It is on. There it is. No, it's not. Yes. Yay. All right. Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. It says, This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. And I'm getting a delay. Okay. Um, yeah. To be healed. Said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw that Paul had done they raised their voices, saying in the Laucanian La language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Verse 12. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? You see, when they went there and they preached the word of God, the people were attributing this to other gods and, and Hermes and Zeus, and they were getting ready to make sacrifices for them. It's like, no, 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 why are you doing this? You guys have a misunderstanding. This is not how it works. And look what he says. We are also men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. 
who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Here you have the people. They have a misunderstanding. They hear wonderful words from Paul and, her, and, and they're thinking that he's some kind of other God. And he's saying, look, that's not how it works. You got to just forget about all these useless things and all these useless gods. You got to worship him who created. So that's the first message of who our God is. He is our creator. He's our provider. The Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord that provides. Who supplies all your needs. And even in this corrupt world, by the way, your canopy rolls here are beautiful. They are just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. And this is a world, you know, when sin happened, the people were affected by sin and infected by sin. Animals and birds and plants were affected as well. And the whole planet itself with earthquakes and hurricanes and all of these things, this is all a result of sin. And even thousands of years later, we can still see the beauty and the glory of God in nature itself, my God who created. That's where we could see who my God is. I had a quote here from Auntie Ellen. We'll go ahead and, and, and skip that. I'll be more than happy to provide that at some other point for you. But look at the scripture reading for today as well. In Psalm 145, 15 and 16, it says, The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. There's my God, the provider. And you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. This is my God, not an evil God that punishes, but this is my God. And you have to understand something. I wonder sometimes if God really, really, 99% of the time, is really the one that punishes or not. Because I really believe, if I were to tell myself, my son, like, hey, you know, Julian, don't touch the hot stove. And he touches the hot stove. Ah, and now he is burning up. Did I burn him? Did I cause him to burn? I gave him a criteria and I said, don't do this. He did it and he got himself in trouble. Now I, am I going to sit there and lecture him now and beat him more? No, I'm going to go and go to his rescue, get that hand under some cool water, blow it a little bit, maybe jump with him as he's crying and, and just work with him to try to take care of him. And that's what my God does. My God says, don't do this. When you do that and you get yourself in trouble, he says, I'm right here. Come to Papa. I am right here waiting for you. The problem is that some of us, shame on you, God. How dare you burn my hand when I touch the stove? And we get all mad at him or we hide from him because we are ashamed. But he is right there getting ready to satisfy all of us. Look what it says in Genesis 3.17. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground for your sake. It is for our benefit. When he does do something, it is for our benefit. If I have my son, and I'm using this as an example, this hasn't happened to him, but if we're going, you know, going outside and suddenly he leaves my, my place and he starts running into the middle of the street, I'm going to grab him and I say, don't, don't do that. I just spanked him a little bit because a little spank 
as a reminder not to go out there is much better than the kind of spanking he'll get from a huge car. And so you got to think about that. This is why in James, and I don't have it on here, but in James 1, 2, it says, Consider it all joy through your trials and your tribulations while you're being tested. When it looks like things look horrible, just smile and consider it joy. It's like saying, thank you, Jesus, for spanking me just a little bit because it's much better that you hit me in the touch than what it is for a car to hit me all over. And so it is for our sake. In Toyo, you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. And so who is this God? And I'm skipping through this a little bit, but look at it in Exodus. Exodus 33:18. Here's Moses asking God, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. It says, verse 18. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then here we see in verse 34, when the glory of the Lord passes before Moses, and look what Moses sees. And the Lord, this is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, by the way. Many of us know John 3.16, but we don't quite understand this one here. Look what it says. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children's children and children to the third and to the fourth generation. A merciful Loving God. John 4, 2, it says, So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah in Jonah 4.2 had an issue with God because it says, if I go over there, I knew you're just going to show them love and mercy instead of smiting them like I would love for you to do. Praise God that Jonah was not God. Praise God that none of us here are God. Micah, Micah chapter 7 verse 18. Who is a God like you? Notice I'm using Old Testament quite a bit. Pardoning iniquity and, and, and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. There's no difference between my God and Jesus. After all, John 3.16, for God so hated the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Christ is actually the revelation of God. John 1.18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So how can we talk about God if we have not seen him? It is only through him. Here we see in Matthew 11:27, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal. John 14, 
8 and 9, it says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us a father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Again, many of us had the misunderstanding between Jesus and, and God, but it is all the same. As a matter of fact, if you love Jesus, you got to love the father more for it because he's the one that gave him to us. In describing his early mission, look what happened with Jesus and what he came here to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Does it sound like the God that we've made the world to think he is? A God who oppresses people, who punishes people. Papa Dios castiga. Is that the God? On the contrary, this is a God who came to set us free. This is my God. This is my God. And not only did he came to set us free spiritually when he sent his son to die for you and me. But he's also coming back soon to take us home. This is a plain, pointed, penetrating message. Very simple. My God loves you so much that when the devil took you out of his grasp, when the devil infected us with sin, he came and sent his son to pay the ransom, and now he went over there to prepare a mansion, but he's coming back to take you and I home. That is all it is. There's no distinction. And I'm going to skip through a couple of these. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh. Who was the flesh? Jesus. But God, the Father, was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by the angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world, and received up in glory. Amen? Isaiah 53, 5. By the way, if you never read Isaiah 53, this is a chapter that you must read in its entirety. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. This is my God. The one that died for you and me. This is my God. 2 Corinthians 5.19, that is that God was in Christ. God was in whom? In Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the, world, the word of what? Of reconciliation. This is my God, an awesome Awesome, mighty God. John 10, 17. Therefore, my Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. In other words, I don't know if you've ever had a scare when uh, maybe losing a child in the middle of a department store or something like that. And you're searching and you're frantic and you're trying to figure out what is going on. Or perhaps you've seen a scene where the child's about to get in trouble and you, you, could, you can't get to them. But then somebody either catches the kid in the air or brings the child to you. And how do you feel towards that person that just rescued your kid? Huh? You feel gratitude, right? 
Even if it's the ugliest person you've ever seen, because you still don't have God's eyes, it's like you love that person. Like, I love you. Thank you. Because you love that child so much that whoever came to the rescue, you can't help but to just feel love for that individual and gratitude and appreciation and say, I love you. And here we see that God the Father loves Jesus even more because he laid his life down for you and me. That's how much the Father loves us that he's extra grateful for Jesus dying because he loves us so much. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible and one that hurts me a little bit is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the original language, that, that concept of while we were still sinners is an active verb. In the middle of committing the sin, Christ is saying, I forgive you. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. It reminds me of Stephen when he was being stoned. He said those exact words. And I struggle with that because, you know, the love of God is not quite perfected in me that way. I have forgiven a lot of people many dreadful things. I have, but never while I'm going through it. Maybe a couple of hours later, I have gotten that good sometimes. Maybe a few hours later, you know what? It's been a couple of hours. I think I'm ready to forgive. Maybe a couple of days later, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. But in the middle of happening, where you're getting stoned and, 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 and psh, Lord, psh, forgive them because, psh, really? But that is the mercy. And the love that my God has for you and for me. This is my God, Hebrews 2.11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. My Jesus is our sacrifice, our redeemer. He is our advocate. He is our brother. He is there for you and for me. Last verse for today, 1 John 3, 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it does not know Him. There's a lot of theology there, but I will leave it at this for you. I will leave it here. And it is this. My God is coming very, very soon. In Matthew 24, Christ compared it to contractions. Yes, there's always been earthquakes. There's always been turmoil. There's always been violence. But you know, I remember when I had, when I had my son, man, I, I was freaking out. And for some reason, none of our babies wanted to be born during the day. They all wanted to do like two or three in the morning. It's like they picked the oddest time. My daughter was in the middle of a snowstorm in Michigan. Eight inches of snow. The anesthesiologist couldn't get there for about a couple of hours later. And it was just dreadful. Anyhow, enough of my venting. Let me get back to the, to the sermon. I'm digressing a bit. Uh, babies, yes. Just like pastoral emergencies. I never get a call during the day. People get hospitalized at night. Anyway, let me get back to the sermon. The point is that, uh, you know, it, it, it's... With the contractions with my son, you know, I remember when it was like, first of all, she, they, they faked us out like a month earlier with the Braxton Hicks contractions. You know, we got all scared and it was all for nothing. It was like fake ones a couple of weeks earlier. But then when it was time, when the baby was, you know, the contractions were about three hours apart, two hours, half an hour, 30 minutes. Not too bad. But when they're five minutes apart and two minutes apart, you know the baby's coming. 
In Matthew 24, it gives us a description of what the world will look like towards the end times. And we're seeing those contractions over and over and over. You saw Orlando got hit left and right with murders and this back-to-back story after story from gator attacks to this. Just You're seeing it, and that's just here. If you read the worldwide news and you see the contractions are closer and closer together. And now more than ever, there's a world of people out there that need to know that there's a God that is coming soon to take them home. They need to know about our Savior. And let me tell you something else. They could care less what message you have to preach. They're tired of lectures and they don't want your knowledge. This world is overwhelmed with knowledge. You could Google anything. And as a matter of fact, it's so bad now because you have real information and then you have to sort out through all of the bad information. So there's an overabundance, an extra amount of information. The best way to share the gospel message with the world is to live like a people who knows the Lord, who actually has experienced his love, his mercy and forgiveness. And we are reflections of that to everyone and anyone that we come encounter with. My God has love for men. And I pray that as men, we can share that love with the world so that people can see Christ in us. So it is my prayer that we allow God to work in us and through us for the benefit of all. The message has not changed.